Greetings. I'm Steve Van Cor. This is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host in each episode. We interview a city or a county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government right here in the Sunshine State. But today, we're taking a little detour. And what a detour. I've introduced some of my guests in the past telling you they had incredible resumes, incredible things to offer, incredible insights. But I got to say, honestly, I don't think we've had someone of this caliber, with all due respect to our former guests, with the resume, the background, the insight, the intellect of our current guest, Dr. Ronald Sanders, who's the staff director of the Florida Center for Cybersecurity. And I'm not one to read resumes, guys and ladies, but let me read a little bit from this resume because you'll be, I think, as impressed as I was. He helped lead the historic post-Cold War transformation of the U.S. Department of Defense, the post-9-11 Department of Homeland Security, the Office of National Intelligence, and the integration of the, US, uh, the United States intelligence community. He helped create the cybersecurity and space agencies of the United Arab Emirates. Talk about big clients, right? Yeah, who's your client? The United Arab Emirates. And even helped establish the uh, China, China's National School of Administration. As if that wasn't enough, I got to keep going because this is really impressive. He's received not one, not two, but three presidential awards, one from the Department of Defense, one from the IRS, and one from the United States Office of Personnel Management, has won two Teddy Roosevelt Distinguished Public Service Awards, and I have barely scratched the surface of his resume. How was that, Ron? Was that a good introduction? Uh, the shorter the better, Steve, and, and thanks for having me. <laughs> well, what's I wanted to, our audience to know that when you speak, you speak with severe in authority and knowledge about where you're coming from. And I want to get into cybersecurity because you're, I mean, an unparalleled expert in the area. And that is something that I know keeps our city managers, our county administrators awake at night. We just saw with the Colonial Pipeline and, and how interruptive a cybersecurity attack can be on our very culture. Uh, we saw long lines of gas stations directly as a result of, of ransomware. Um, anything you want to add about your background that we can that helps color and inform our, our conversation today before we get into it? Uh, just a couple of things, Steve. Uh, first, uh, I consider myself at heart a public servant, uh, as I'm sure your listeners do. Uh, we're all serving for the public good. And whether we do it at the federal level, the state level, or the local level, I think that's a common bond. It's a calling. Uh, we could do this for profit and probably make more money, and we don't. So I hope um, your listeners uh, feel some affinity and association with me. That's uh, a really because, good point. Because to the person we've interviewed so far, absolutely what drives them, what gets them up in the morning, what excites them is doing public good. And that's, that's, that's a cool overlay there. Tell me a little bit about the Center, the Center for Cybersecurity. What, what is the Center for Cybersecurity? Well, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's a state agency. It was created in 2013. Um, I'll confess that in one of my previous laws uh, in government, I helped create the center at University of South Florida, um, but I am an alum, and uh, I helped create the center uh, while I was uh, still a, a federal civil servant. Uh, now I'm the staff director, and, and I should add maybe one other bit of affinity for your listeners. 
Uh, before I started this job, I was director of the School of Public Affairs for USF. And I will tell you, that's when I first became associated with FCCMA. And that's where I really gained an appreciation for the sort of challenges that uh, city managers, county administrators, mayors, other local officials have, not just in cybersecurity, but in public management generally. So, um, so here I am, staff director of the Florida Center for Cybersecurity. We've got three missions, all given to us by the state legislature, cybersecurity education, research, and outreach. Research just means more kids with more diplomas, uh, filling more cybersecurity jobs. We can talk more about that if you want. Okay. Uh, research, just what it says, uh, finding money and grants and uh, scholars to do breakthrough research in cybersecurity. And finally, what is probably most relevant to your listeners is outreach. Um, reaching out to citizens, businesses, local governments, and frankly, warning them about the cyber threat. You know, it's, and sometimes I got to believe people think it's just a virus. That's a simple thing. It's not, it's, you know, not, not something I have to worry about until the neighboring city is held hostage for uh, ransomware. You tell me you're doing a survey of local governments and that's right near and dear to our, to our sweet spot in our hearts. What is, what is that survey of local governments? What, what is that all about? Well, we first did this um, in 2019, 2020. Uh, basically it's a, it was a survey to local government chief executives, so mayors, city managers, et cetera, not, repeat, not CIO types or IT directors. And we wanted them to know and to honestly tell us how prepared they were for a cyber attack. And uh, Steve, as you would expect, the results were on one hand disappointing, on the other hand, not surprising because local government officials have to make some very, very difficult trade-offs. Do I fill a pothole or do I shore up my cyber defense? And um, that's a, those are, you know, that's a real Hobson's choice. So we did the survey. We used that survey in conjunction with FCCMA to make a legislative proposal to the state that would frankly allow local governments to get more money so that they could shore, shore up those cyber defenses. Um, our local governments are under-resourced. They are undermanned. And that makes them that much more vulnerable, even Steve, as they provide uninterruptible services. Absolutely. So the combination they can't, they can't of being under-resourced yeah. and providing uninterruptible services means you're vulnerable to attack, particularly ransomware attack. Well, what's troubling in that regard is the typical, you know, we don't divide cities by size. Where I grew up, it was town, village, city, right? Uh, there was only one city, it was called New York. Um, but here in Florida, we have 411 municipalities, the average size of which is 7,500 people. Some of these local governments are very small operations. That doesn't mean their electric grid, their sewer water, et cetera, and uh, subject to uh, ransomware and other, other, other foibles aren't at risk. And, and I'm familiar with the bill. I'm familiar with the request for the appropriation because if we don't help these small cities, they, they, they could go literally under and stop providing valuable services like when I flush the toilet, the water goes somewhere and gets processed. Um, because I get it. I'm sure Orlando, I'm sure Jacksonville, I'm sure Miami-Dade, I'm sure these big municipalities can afford a an IT department that is fully trained, layered you know layer of bureaucracy that people are trained to, to to train others on how to be secure. But a city like Micanopy, Crestview, Niceville, they're tiny. They have small budgets. They simply cannot do all the things that are necessary to put in place uh, real cyber readiness. I think that's that's spot on. 
And look, um, things like ransomware are rampant, not just in Florida, but Florida seems to be a particular uh, target. And I'll, I'll come back to that. There's a reason, I think. But um, this has become the equivalent of street crime, of a mugging. It's not as some evil computer genius in Eastern Europe doing this. People realize that they could go to a Micanopy, shut it down, hold it for ransom, and get half a million dollars or a million dollars. It's not a lot in the grand scheme of things. It happens to be for Micanopy and its citizens. Why is Florida a particular target? We have among the most progressive, transparent public records laws in the nation. And you'll never hear me argue against that. Transparency means more government accountability, but it also means more government vulnerability when it comes to cyber attacks, because it's an open kimono with all due respect. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I, I represented a uh, supervisor of elections office, our, our firm did, and it is astonishing that, I, Ron, I can go online and find out your voter registration history, how often you vote, where you vote, unless your law enforcement, what your address is, what your political party is. I can download that data, et cetera, because it's required to be open access. Now, the voting machine stuff is not. It's, a, it's like hacking your refrigerator because they're, they're completely separate. But that, that open access can really cause you know issues, and I, and I dread the day when 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 a supervisor of elections gets gets hacked and the voter files are frozen, you know, or they could do something as simple as scramble all the precincts, and you'll have just pure mayhem uh, all over the place. So let me ask you though, what what makes cities and counties so susceptible to cyber attacks? Well, again, I think there are, there are two factors. Um, one is more or less unique to Florida. First, they all provide uninterruptible services. And at the same time, they also are the repositories for all kinds of what are called PII, personally identifiable information, social security numbers, et cetera. There's also what I would call commercially identifiable information, permit requests, real estate development proposals, et cetera, that are confidential, but to a hacker who is looking for an edge, whether it's ransomware, data theft, or just taking advantage of the market, um, those records are available uh, in, a, in, in particularly in Florida municipalities through public records requests. So uh, it doesn't matter. Here's, here's a, a very interesting example. Um, if you wanna know how many people you've got in an IT department with the notion that the smaller the department, the more vulnerable the city, I could send out a public records request tomorrow and find out how many people are in the IT departments of every municipality in Florida. And you now, can use that as an that indicator. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm told, and I, and I remember going through these exercises with the Broward County Supervisor of Elections, uh, you know, to protect the cybersecurity. Everybody was being trained, being trained, being trained. And it seemed to me there was two critical parts. One was the hardware, software, technology end. And the other end was numbskulls like myself. And I, I got the sense that the techno geeks um, were really good at protecting us um, and making sure things were, were quarantined, were protected, were blocked, et cetera. But it's the numbskulls who, you know, find a thumb drive on the street and pop it in their computer, give somebody, make all their passwords, you know, their kid's name with, the, with their birthday. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that balance. It's one part hard technology, one part human, human foibles. Well, those two parts have shifted over time. It used to be that there were a relatively small number of very sophisticated computer criminals, cyber criminals, who could hack systems. 
and they guarded those trade secrets very jealously. Now you can buy hacking tools on the dark web. Steve, I hope you don't go to the dark web because you feel like you have to take a shower after you've been there, but you can <laughs> buy anything on the dark web, including uh, hacking tools. So you don't need to be that evil computer genius. So the balance has shifted. Now it's what a colleague of mine from NSA used to call the wetware. You and I are the wetware. 80% of all breaches come from users like me, whether we're citizens or employees or contractors, we're clicking on the wrong email, we're revealing our password, we're doing something, uh, a, a friend of mine in Homeland Security calls them stupid user tricks. <laughs> and I hate to use the word stupid uh, because we end up taking these things for granted, but uh, Steve, you know the, the easiest way to find somebody's login information? Masquerade as a member of a cleaning crew, go visit an office, a government office after hours, lift up keyboards, and what do you think you'll find? A sticky Yellow note. stickies with passwords on them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember going to a conference and, and, and this guy got up, he was like you, he was in cybersecurity, and he said, they went to a cybersecurity conference and laid 50 thumb drives randomly around the conference put them in bathrooms, put them on, on tables, about the coffee table. And by the end of the first day, like 24 of them had been plugged into a computer. When it got plugged in, it sent up a harmless signal saying, and so they were able to list the names <laughs> of the people, the cybersecurity people. And these are trained people. They're trained, they're the trainers, and they're finding these random thumb drives and sticking them in. It's that, that could have easily been a virus that you downloaded and, and made access to. And they use- Right, and, and, and actually, Steve, that similar, that same scenario, is the, um, it, it describes one of the most famous earliest cyber attacks against one of our military organizations. Somebody threw a bunch of thumb drives into the parking lot, all infected, and what do you think people did? They picked them up, said, oh, this is cool, and they plugged them into computers. And oh the gosh. next thing you know, those computers are taken over. So it's all about the wetware, it's all about culture. And I think the good news here is that for city managers, county administrators, um, elected officials, you can influence the culture. You can protect yourself if you have employees that are vigilant and understand. Don't put your yellow. Don't put your password on a yellow sticky under your keyboard. Don't advertise your PII. Don't do stupid user tricks. Well, and 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 that's I think part of the equation is look, we'll take care for our city managers. We'll take care of the technology, right? We'll put the latest viral protection software, but you've got to do your part. You've got to make sure you're not in the business of opening up this portal and you know opening up the back door and letting people in by, uh, sorry, stupid user tricks. That's exactly right. You know, but it's funny because we're talking about we're picking on Micanopy. Uh, the nice fills of small cities, but we just saw a major U.S. corporation get ransomware, uh, you know, with a colonial pipeline. What, what, what can we learn from that? And do we know anything about how that happened that, that we can we could take away a couple of lessons from and other than it could happen to anybody? Well, we don't know all of the details about colonial pipeline yet. Uh, so some of this is speculative, but there's bad news and good news here, the, the, and we've just talked about it. So much of these hacks come from people just doing dumb things. Take the one of the more famous ones, the Tampa Twitter, te the teenage tamper Twitter hack. That's a real tongue twister. Who managed to convince people, first he hacked Twitter, 
And then he managed to convince Twitter users, hey, I'm Barack Obama or I'm Hillary Clinton, send me a check for $500 or $5,000. And people actually did it. Well, that's because somebody at Twitter let him in. It, he wasn't, again, he wasn't this evil computer genius that manipulated the ones and zeros, found the gaps and seams, the zero day exploits to uh, make his way into the networks. Uh, and if you think about it, uh, a cyber criminal can send out 10,000 spear phishing emails with malware in the attachment. All they got to do is get one person to open it. And if the spear phishing email says, hey, congratulations, you've just won a gift certificate for $100, how many people are going to open it? Yeah, that's right. So the, right. the good news is this is preventable. Most of it is preventable. The ones and zeros guys, the real cyber criminals that are sophisticated, that uh, that can uh, find those gaps and seams in the one in the software itself, those are much harder to guard against. But as you said, you've got IT professionals and cybersecurity professionals, whether they're contractors or staff or some combination, they can protect you from the technical incursions. It's the social engineering that is probably most disconcerting and but most preventable. And that has to be training on the front end. The moment you give somebody a password to your system, they have to be certified and trained and be told what, what is good and what is bad. And having a list of here's the things you can and should not do while you're operating on the computer. You know, it's something as simple as don't leave it on overnight. Turn it off when you go home at night so that a cleaning crew person doesn't have access to your system. And, but and it's, it sells it's, your password. Yeah, those simple things. Protect your password. Uh, and, you know, we all know the person whose password is their name and, and one, two, three, four. Uh, and so it's just a matter of some system, some bot getting in and figuring it out right away. I got to tell you, Steve, this yeah. very quick anecdote. There is a county in Florida, and I will not name them, that sent out a mock spear phishing attack to its employees. Uh, in other words, the spear phishing attack wasn't real. It was a test they had a 100% failure rate. Everybody clicked on that bad email. And we, we went in and did some training for them and hopefully that helps employees get vigilant. But we take this stuff for granted and you just can't because there are too many bad actors out there who are uh, anxious to take advantage. Well, and to me, the lesson is, guys, you cannot trust the technicians. They can't protect you from yourself, right? Uh, uh, you know, your American Express card, your Visa card has all these protections built in. But if you're going to hand it to somebody on the street and say, go, go shopping, they're going to steal your money. And likewise, if people are not trained and aware, uh, we just did a, a, a prior program. The first, we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion. He, he said, the first thing is awareness and acknowledging of the problem. It sounds like the same thing here. You have to be aware that this is real and it, and the, and the weak spot, is as you call it wetware, the the human condition. We're we're the ones that are, that create the the most of the vulnerability. Um, so go back again because I want to talk about. You're right. Florida has a very broad open records law. That's a good thing, but it can be problematic because it allows access to information that you know. If you, if you're having a, it's like in our schools, right? Uh, we have a shooting on campus. But it's, oh, they should only have one entrance, one exit. Well. That doesn't work for pick up and drop off with parents. So you got a thousand parents want to drop off their kid within an eight minute period. A thousand parents want to pick up their kid. You have to have a very broad 
pick up and drop off area. I feel like that's what it is with our technology, local government, state government, county government, that we have to have this kind of big pick up and drop off area. Tell me I how think, that, I, that I think that's right. that. Well, I think that's right. And, and uh, honestly, Steve, COVID-19 has exacerbated it. In what way? We are now living life online. We work online, we shop online, we go to school online, we interact socially online. Um, I, I'm in the process of discussing with our Cyber Florida staff uh, what our return to work policy is. And most people are saying, well, we'll come to the office when we're needed, but we can just as easily work remote. All right, that is true, but that leaves you vulnerable. So look at the school systems that have been hacked uh, the, because they're teaching kids online. Uh, we know that uh, uh, you can be hacked when you're shopping online. We know that you can be hacked when you're interacting socially online. And when COVID-19 said everybody work, shop, go to school at home, it just made us, uh, made us all that much more vulnerable. So well, we just I hadn't have to really thought about that. Yeah. So all these Zoom calls, Teams calls, Ring Central calls, those are also portals for uh, uh, hackers to get in uh, as well. That's really interesting. Right. And think about that from a local government standpoint. You've got to conduct town uh, uh, city council meetings in the sunshine. Your decisions have to be in the sunshine. Uh, I actually observed uh, the arraignment of the uh, Tampa teenage Twitter hacker. Uh, and uh, as you may know, somebody attacked the uh, court proceedings because they have to be public. So the fact is pu being public, being in the sunshine is a good thing, but it just means an added layer of protection. Uh, and we just have to be vigilant about it. And, you know, uh, that's interesting. So having clear protocols in place to accommodate this new world order, because you're right, so many people are like, well, I can I can work out of here. Uh, I'm traveling next week to the FCCMA conference and uh, I'm going to work remotely for Tuesday and Wednesday. And it's like this, it's pretty easy breezy. It works, it works very, very well, but you're right. It opens up, it opens up another doorway for the bad guys to get in. Are there any things underway that you guys are doing at the center to help train local government to do a better job on being prepared for cyber, you know, doing a better cybersecurity job? Well, we are, and, and and we're quite proud of our relationship with the Florida League of Cities, FCCMA, the Florida Association of Counties, to do that kind of outreach and training. Uh, but I will tell you, uh, one of the things that I'm, uh, I think we're most proud of, is uh, to begin focusing more on the pipeline for cybersecurity talent, and as a particular part of that pipeline, teaching kids, particularly K through 16. Uh, high school juniors, seniors, first-time voters, young first-time voters, teaching them about cyber citizenship so that they don't take all of this stuff for granted. Now, Steve, some of this is what we call cyber hygiene. That's having strong passwords and not putting them on yellow stickies and uh, under your keyboard. That's, that's like brushing your teeth. That's cyber hygiene. Cyber citizenship is more difficult. How do you begin discerning between mis- and disinformation? Uh, people who are deliberately trying to get your lather up so that you take a particular point of view or that you retweet something. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the counter to that, of course, is do your own due diligence, find your own sources, find the sources of those sources, uh, fact check on your own. Don't take everything you read on the Internet as gospel. Um, you and I are probably of the same generation. Mm -hmm. and we learned long ago uh, that a TV commercial is um, a grain of salt. 
somebody's trying to sell you something. I don't care whether it's a box of soap or a politician, somebody's trying to sell you something. So we sort of listen with half an ear and we know to take it with a grain of salt. Unfortunately, I think uh, people haven't learned quite learned how to do that on the internet because in part, you can make things on the internet look so sophisticated. Very so if it's yeah. on the internet, it must be true. And then they do things. Well, you know, it's funny you talk about uh, cyber citizenship is that teaching a culture of respect for the power of the internet. You know, I, I, I teach a course in media application and selection at Florida State. And I liken teaching 20, 23, 24 year olds about the internet, a lot like teaching the fish about the water. It's something they've been immersed from since their first memories. And they, they take these things for granted and they don't see the danger that is in there. They don't believe it. Uh, and it's just as easy, oh, if somebody steals my password, I'll just go over and get a new Google, a new Gmail account. But teaching them citizenship, uh, cyber citizenship, that sounds like a, a very, very important um, aspect. You know, how do you get that into the school curriculum? Another challenge. What else are we doing to help local governments become better prepared and, and better able? Because it sounds like one part technology, one per part uh, training of citizens. Are you guys engaged with improving training programs? Uh, we are. And, and in fact, that's a that's a key part of the legislation that we would like to see the state pick up to support local governments. Uh, for the record, we had talked to the League of Cities and FCCMA and, and the counties about resubmitting that legislation this past session. But frankly, Florida's COVID-19 related budget woes were so severe that that we all figured that wasn't the time to ask for, for more yeah, darn, money. Darn, little did we know we'd get an extra $10 billion at the last minute, we would have had the money. And, and you know, this legislature- We'll get some of that for, for local governments, but uh, uh, so better training, more training. Frankly, we need to review Florida's public records laws with an eye towards cybersecurity and cyber vulnerability. They were not written with those in mind and we need no, to take weren't. a sort of zero-based review of them. And then uh, hopefully helping local governments find the talent, whether it's through contractors um, or their own staff, they need the talent. And that means they need the money to hire the talent because uh, frankly, the bad guys have the talent now and that's not a good thing. Because that's what the money is. That's exactly right. Give me, um, so our listeners are driving to work, they're bicycling to work, they're sitting in, uh, at lunch eating their, their peanut butter sandwich. Give them two or three things they can do right now to improve their cybersecurity. Well, this is gonna sound a bit trite, but if you're a city manager, one thing you could do to signal that cybersecurity is important to you is to include it as a regular part of your staff meetings because every city is being attacked constantly. For the most part, it's noised. For the most part, those attacks are thwarted. But you, Steve, as you know, if a city manager or a mayor or a county administrator put something in as a regular staff meeting item, people are gonna realize, hey, this is important. If that same uh, city or county official not only preaches cybersecurity, but practices it. So um, every, I hope every municipality has a cyber response plan. How many of them practice that cyber response plan? Like a war game. That was one of the things, those are a couple of things that our survey. Well, we do this, us. we do this for hurricanes. We know exactly. what most cities do a 
fantastic job with with sharing of employees of, hey, uh, if I'm in southeast Florida, I've got a partnership with a town up in, you know, over in Pinellas County so that if you get the hurricane, we'll send our people over there. We and, and we all have these protocols and they practice and we and we talked to the city manager of Paradise, California, that 85 percent of the city was burned down due to wildfire. And she said we did nothing. Everybody knew what to do. They had rehearsed. They knew how to reverse the traffic flow in the city's main streets, and they all took off. And I had nothing to do, uh, which I'm like, wow, well, I thought you'd be at ground zero telling everybody what to do. She goes, no, everybody was trained. Sounds to me like what you're saying is city managers, go back, add to every staff meeting. What are we doing on cybersecurity? Has everybody been trained? That doesn't sound trite at all. It sounds like basic blocking and tackling to me. It It, it is. And here, here again, uh, Florida has a distinct advantage if we just connect the dots and you put your finger on it. We prepare for natural disasters. We are probably the most prepared state in the union for natural disasters. A cyber attack is no different. It is not, repeat, not just a technical issue. It is not something you can just go dump on your IT department and say, handle it, handle it. In fact, this is a chief executive's responsibility, just like a hurricane is, or a tornado is, or a power outage may be. Uh, and if the chief executive says it's important to me, I'm gonna emphasize it in staff meetings, I'm going to practice it uh, with a war game around my cyber response plan, I'm gonna make sure that the same people who are doing emergency management for hurricanes are also informing my IT department in case there's a cyber attack. Those are three simple things that a uh, a local official could do tomorrow that don't cost a dime and that would increase their protection uh, um, of an order of magnitude. You know, it's funny you say that and it dawns on me that, yeah, my instinct would have been, okay, I want to meet with my IT department, tell them what are we doing for cybersecurity? And I'm going to get a lot of technical terms, a lot of technical words. We got this new software, blah, 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 blah. We, we put a new flux capacitor in everybody's computer, yada, yada, <laughs> yada. But really what you're saying is, it's the HR department, you know, when we do an annual audit, hey, what, what is your time off? What do you got this? How's your 401k? You know, all those things. Are you feeling comfortable in your workplace? There should be part of the HR team saying, or something similar saying, okay, are you, take a little test. How are you doing on your cybersecurity? Are you behaving? You don't have the little sticky notes with your, you know, passwords. Are you changing your passwords periodically? Are you keeping your personally identifiable information out of your notepad? which says my social security number is, my driver's license is, here's a picture of my driver's license, keep that stuff away. Uh, so it sounds to me like that's more than the IT department, which, which we love our engineers, but it's probably a better project for the HR department. Would you agree with that? Well, I would hope they're collaborating, but yes. And, and in fact, uh, Steve, I'm an HR person by profession. And I will tell you, it is all about the culture you want a cyber secure culture, just like you want a culture in which your employees are ethical, that they don't discriminate, that they serve customers. Uh, every experienced city manager and county administrator knows those aren't just buzzwords. You've got to create incentives. You've got to emphasize it. What gets measured gets done. You've got to have metrics. It's all about shaping the culture. That's a leadership responsibility along with the HR department. And that's the kind of thing they could do to, again, to thwart 75 or 80% of the attacks. Yes, the other 15 or 20% are technical and you need a top-notch IT department or they need top-notch contractors helping them. 
and they need the money to buy the talent and the software and the patches. But there's no sense doing that for the 15 or 20% when the other 80% is open kimono. You don't have a culture that is cybersecure. People are not vigilant. Here's, a, here's a, the number one issue, for example. If you, um, if you tell employees you can self-report with impunity so that if I click on the wrong email, I'm, I know I can go to somebody and say, hey, I just, I just made a mistake. I'm a human being. I just made a mistake. Fix it. As opposed to saying, if you click on the wrong email, we're going to punish you. Well, what do you think happens, Steve? If yeah, I they hide that. Email, they hide that. I'm going to hide it. Right. So it's creating that sort of culture. Now, I'm not saying go of the other extreme where you can do whatever you want. You can make mistakes continuously and leave the city vulnerable. You can't do that, but you've got to find the happy medium. And that's a, that's a cultural issue. And that's, to me, that means it's a leadership issue. You know, I, I visualize, remember in the old days in the factory, and I'm sure there's still factories that have this, you know, zero, 52 days since somebody got hurt, 53 days. It's almost like 52 days since somebody did something stupid, since 52 days since somebody opened up a phishing email, so 52 days since somebody wrote their passwords and their social security numbers on a sticky pad on their keyboard. And or if you're not careful, I'm going to steal that idea because I think it's a great one. <laughs> uh, anything else? I, I saw you think about cyber deterrence and resiliency. What's that? What's cyber deterrence? Are we, isn't that what we're talking about? Well, I think what we're finding is that whether it's cyber crime or cyber espionage, the old rules no longer apply. Now, you know, if you remember uh, from uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, cyber deter uh, nuclear deterrence meant if you attack us, we'll attack you 10 times over. Well, uh, cyber attacks are what are called asymmetric. It doesn't take an army to perpetrate a cyber attack. It just takes somebody in the basement with the right tools. And they can shut down a city or, frankly, a country. Uh, so we need to rethink our rules of, about cyber deterrence. Part of it is making sure systems are more resilient so that they are harder to attack. attack. Part of it is making sure Steve, that our citizenry is more resilient, that they aren't doing the stupid user tricks that you and I talked about. All of that raises the difficulty and the cost of a cyber attacker, whether they're a criminal or a spy or a saboteur, all of that raises the cost calculus so that they think twice about hacking us. It's the old joke, right? The bears chasing two uh, people in the woods. I don't need to, I run the bear. <laughs> As long as I can run faster than you, I'm okay. We ought to be thinking that uh, when we uh, try to shore up our cyber defenses. Well, when you use the example of the phishing attacks um, for our audience, those are emails that when you know they just say, "Hey, Joe, open up this email." You see pretty pictures of your, you know, your dog, and you click on it, and you downloaded something. That it's a lot like the criminals who walk up and down the street just testing car doors, testing car doors, testing car doors, and it's not sophisticated. It's not hard to break into a car if the door is unlocked. Well, if I try 100 doors and 99% of the people lock their car, every night someone's going to get their car broken into and it's going to look like a crime spree when in reality it's only 1%. And you're saying is they're going to try. And if you leave those doors unlocked, so to speak, uh, I'd rather not them have open the door in my city, but open it in somebody else's city. Right. Well, and, and with cyber criminals, Steve, they can take that to... Uh, scale like you wouldn't believe. 
I believe so instead it. of a hundred cars and you know one unlocked, they could send out ten or twenty or a hundred thousand emails, all with malware in an attachment, and all they need is one person to click. Yeah, exactly. So, what do you mean by cyber resiliency? Well, we've we've been talking a lot about it. It means both technical and cultural protections, making it harder to break in, whether it's a security patch on the technical side or the emphasis on creating a cyber secure culture on the social engineering side. The more uh, you emphasize those things, the more resilient you're going to be. Now, that doesn't mean 100% protection. So having things like cyber insurance, having backup files. I was gonna say, cause I, I would have thought it was after you got hacked, can you still keep the utility running? Can you still keep the, the, uh, uh, the, the cameras that, that coordinate traffic running? Can you still do those things? You're resilient even if you get attacked. Yes, so it is not only prevention, but it is reaction, you know, making sure that you've got a cyber response plan and you've used it before, even if it's in a simulation and it's also recovery. Do you have backup files? You would be surprised, Steve, in that survey we talked about earlier from a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. how many organizations, A, not only had back, did not have backup files, they weren't even doing annual cybersecurity training. Now, I should say that with FCCMA's help, we're going to redo that survey here in literally a couple of months. And we're hoping that respondents are as honest with this one as they were with the first one. It's all anonymous. It's all going to be reported only in the aggregate. We're not going to single out any particular city and say, these are, this one is bad. This is all, uh, as I said, confidential and anonymous. But we want to take the results to the state legislature and say, look, our local governments need help. It's not that they're ignoring it. It's just that they don't have the resources and the talent for it. They have to make hard decisions between roads and bridges and cybersecurity. And when you have a limited uh, revenue stream, you're going to choose the roads and bridges over cybersecurity. They need help with the latter. So we're hoping that the survey results, again, uh, or survey on cyber preparedness, if we show that cities are not prepared not through any fault of their own, just right. that it's a zero-sum game, then we're hoping that we can get some state help. And frankly, we're also after some federal help. No, and, the and federal you, you, there are cities that have 12 employees, and certainly they can't have a cyber team as well, but they, they do a lot of important stuff on the ground. And, and if there's a breach there, there could be a breach somewhere else. Yep. Uh, Ron, this, is, this has been fantastic. Let me, let me, one of the things we do on this podcast is we – ask uh, people to tell us something about their city. I want to take it in a different direction because most of our listeners are probably thinking this guy is some super nerd, uh, some super cyber geek. Um, You have an interesting hobby that speaks to the opposite. I guess you've been sitting behind a console doing HR technical work for so long. Uh, Your savings, your screensaver is you diving with sharks. Yes, I'm a, uh, a a scuba diving aficionado, and uh, I'm I've managed to dive pretty much all over the world wherever my job has taken me. Uh, I managed to uh, strap on some tanks, and um, you may also know from my uh, resume, I uh, also have a hobby of flying World War II warbirds uh, and getting Look, myself both into very trouble. low risk. I get it. <laughs> yeah, but I am not. Repeat, not a technical nerd. Uh, again, uh, I'm, I'm an HR person. I wouldn't know ones and zeros from Adam, to, as, as you and I discussed. To me, it's all about the culture. It's all about the wetware. If we teach people to be uh, vigilant and resilient, 
um, most of these attacks are going to be prevented. And um, I hope we can convince local governments in the state of Florida uh, to do that because it is just worth it. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a job well done and it's a very important job. Thank you so much for being on with us. I really appreciate it. Anytime. I'm happy to help. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Steve Vancor. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the FCCMA podcast. It's a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. Thank you for being with us.